If you're here visiting with us today, you kind of came on a little bit of an awkward Sunday. I, I hope that you're still encouraged by your time. But what we're doing today is we're actually finishing up our vision series. We, we've been walking for months and months now through the Gospel of John, which is the, the life of Jesus told by one of his closest friends and disciples. Um, but we, we took six weeks off to, to kind of look at who we believe God has called us to be as a church. And we're wrapping it up today. And so I'm going to do a little bit of review up front and then uh, kind of finish it off uh, by kind of looking under the hood a bit of our ministries. Um, you're going to get like a, just a massive amount of information today. <laughs> and so um, bear with us as we, as we go through this. But I'm, but I'm excited to finish this up and get back into uh, the Gospel of John. But I do hope that this time has been a blessing to you as we've been looking at our, at our vision as a church. So again, over the last six weeks, we've been asking the question, who do we believe that God has called us to be as a church family? Basically, we've laid out what our mission is and our vision and the methods here at Twin Oaks. Um, here's what we've basically said. We exist to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships, okay? That's our mission as a church. Now, we believe that this can happen as every person experiences what we call the four L's, liberate, love, link, and launch. That's our vision as a church, all right? And we spent the last four weeks breaking down each of these four L's, liberate, love, link, and launch. We said, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, four weeks ago when we talked about liberate, we said it all starts with uh, being liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was just ch- talking with a gentleman yesterday morning, just a, a random guy that I met at somewhere, somewhere I was, and he uh, was telling me how he'd just been doing all kinds of church shopping. He's like, uh, he lives up in Oakland. He's like, yeah, I've just been hopping around from church to church. I've gone from everything to the traditional church to seance, a seance service to all of the above. And he's like, I, I just feel like I'm missing something. I'm still missing the, the critical piece of what this is all about, what, what uh, uh, religion is all about. And so I said, well, can I tell you, it's, I think it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And that's, and that's what we believe here at Twin Oaks Church, that it all starts with being liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've stated as clearly and emphatically as we possibly could that the gospel is the foundation of who we are as a people, and it's the driving force behind everything that we do. Our past is redeemed by the gospel, our present is driven by the gospel, and our future is shaped and secure through the gospel. Amen? Our past is redeemed by the gospel, our present is driven by the gospel, and our future is secure, and it is shaped through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? And as a result of our liberty in Jesus, we are, uh, as a result, compelled to love God, link together in community, and launch into the world with the love of Christ. Liberate, love, link, and launch. And each week over the last four weeks, as, we, as we've broken these down one L per week, we've tried to uh, clarify how here at TOC, how we are able to experience each of these areas. So the primary method in which we encourage one another to love God or to worship God, to glorify God, is right here in our worship gatherings, right? And in our worship gatherings on Sunday nights for our youth and for in our children's ministry, right in our worship gatherings. The primary way that we uh, uh, are linked together in community is through our community groups, and the primary method in which we are launched into the world as a church is through our local and global impact. Uh, say so it's worship gatherings, community groups, and local and global impact ministries. Those are the three areas. These are the three methods that we have chosen to, to focus on, to, to devote the majority of our energy and our resources because we believe that th- through these gospel-centered, gospel-driven areas and these ministries, we will be able to accomplish our mission as a church. Are you with me still? Okay. Our mission 
We inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. Our vision is to see every person experience the four L's. Liberate, love, link, and launch. And our methods to promote these L's within our church is a gospel-centered worship gathering, a gospel-centered community groups, and and gospel-centered local and global impact. Okay? Um, Now, if you, if you can follow me there, okay, that's, that's the first five weeks. Now today, since we believe that these three areas are what we need to focus on to accomplish our mission as a church, worship gatherings, community groups, and local and global impact, our goal then is to, to make these three areas as healthy and as fruitful as we possibly can. So we've been asking the question, how can we make sure that these three areas are environments within which the Holy Spirit can grow us as followers of Jesus? What do we need to focus on in our ministries? What do we need to emphasize? What do we need to, you know, what kind of strategies do we implement? What, what is the structure? How do we shape these ministries to be as healthy and fruitful as possible that we might be inspired to follow Jesus and that others might be inspired to follow Jesus? And there is an answer that we've landed on. I'm going to tell you that, but before I do that, let me clarify one thing. Let me just give you one quick clarification. God, one way or another, if you're a follower of Jesus, he will grow you. God, one way or another, will grow us as as followers of Jesus. If we didn't land on the answer, he'd still grow us as followers of Jesus. Okay, if you placed your faith in Jesus, he will grow you. He will see it through to completion. He does not rely on my clever schemes or your clever schemes. He does not rely on our strategies. Okay, he will finish what he has purposed. Jesus uh, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's not like he's just the author of our faith and then he relies on the elder team here at Twin Oaks to perfect your faith. Okay? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus himself said, I will build the church. That's what Jesus said. I will build my church. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says that it's God who began the good work in you and it's God who will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will grow us. That's a promise from his word. But wouldn't it be nice... Wouldn't it be nice if God were able to work through what we are doing here instead of in spite of what we are doing here? Wouldn't that be nice? If God was able to work because of what we are doing here rather than in spite of it. I'd say the same thing for you. Wouldn't it be nice if God were able to grow you in your life because of what you're doing, through what you're doing, rather than in spite of what you're doing? God's going to have his way in our hearts and in this church one way or another. But our goal is to cooperate. Our goal is to cooperate with him and to create environments within which the Holy Spirit will grow us as followers of Jesus. So we have have adopted a list. We call them the six P's, all right? Uh, We'll come up with a better name eventually, right? But we call them right now, we call them the six P's. Now, let me just, just FYI, we didn't come up with this list. Very little of what I say or do comes out of my tiny little mind. Thank goodness for that, all right? Um, uh, there is a church out in Georgia that really helped to define these, these catalysts, these faith catalysts in a, in a way that we really uh, were drawn to. We liked how concise uh, it was stated. And so we've adopted We have tweaked it a little bit. We actually added a little bit to it because you know those guys over at North Point Church, you know, Andy Stanley, they, they're almost there, right? They've almost got it figured out. Uh, we had to help them out a little bit. That's sarcasm, of course. Um, but uh, we, we have adopted this list and kind of made it our own, if you will. But we believe that these six Ps, these are the primary catalysts that the Holy Spirit uses to inspire us to follow Jesus. These are the primary ways that we believe God grows us as followers of Jesus. Therefore, every ministry within our church, everything from you know, production team, our setup and tear down, every, to our prayer and share team, to our house of grace, to preaching right here, to our student ministries, everything, every, every one of our ministries is trying to promote one or more of these catalysts. All right? 
So we're going to look at this list of six here in a minute. Um, before we do that, I'll say one more thing. Let me offer one quick warning. If we're not careful, we're going to approach the rest of this talk this morning as kind of like a business meeting. All right? Kind of like a business meeting. Like I'm just describing to you the inner workings of our church structure or our ministry structure. Um, and for most of you, you'll just kind of check out mentally if you haven't already. And some of you have. I can see you. All right? Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, you'll, you'll check out, right? Because it's just like a business meeting to you. But please don't check out, and I'll tell you why. We were at a conference this last week um, on Thursday, and Bill Hybels, a pastor from Illinois, uh, said this. He said, uh, he made a comment about how each one of us have a birth date and we have a death date. And, and for the most part, we have very little to do with either of those, right? We have very little say over either of those things having a birth date and a death date. However, God has given us a tremendous amount of responsibility about that dash that sits right between them. He's given us an, an immense amount of responsibility about what that dash looks like. Um, and as Christians, um, we, we should ask, what does God want our dash to look like? What does your dash currently look like? Um, what, what does God want our dash to look like? And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3. Paul tells, us, um, Paul tells the church in Philippi, basically gives his testimony. He said, you know, guys, I had all of these things, and I had accomplished all of these things. I had done all of these things. I was this. And then I met Jesus. I met Jesus on that road. And then he said, then all of my qualifications and all of my accomplishments and all the things that I held so dear and I just took so much pride in, all of these things were like dung in comparison to knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and becoming like Jesus in his power and in his sufferings. All of these things. He said, that's actually the verb that you used. He said, it was like feces in comparison. All of these great things I had in my life, like feces in comparison to knowing and walking with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. And then Paul says this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, I belong to Jesus. He has, he has made me his own. You hear him say that? He, Christ has made me his own. I'm a child of God. But what God has worked in me through Christ has yet to fully work itself out of me. What God has worked in me has yet to fully work itself out of me. Yes, I am considered by God righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. But I don't, in my, in my everyday life, honestly, I don't look like Jesus yet. That's what Paul is saying. I'm considered righteous, but honestly, I'm not all that righteous. I'm not, I'm not, I don't look like Jesus. But he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I strive forward. You look in that chapter, he's talking about, I want to be like Christ in his power. I want to be like Christ with his sufferings. He's saying, basically, I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress, and I'm pushing forward. I'm pressing on. I'm working out what God has worked in me. That's how Paul spent his dash. He strained forward to grow more like Christ. And then, we always give it out verse 15. This is what verse 15 says, the very next verse. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So we can't just look at that statement that Paul said a second ago and be like, well, he's young. He's just speaking out of immaturity. You know, just give him a few years. You know, he'll look like Christ like I do, right? No, Paul says, this is a sign of maturity. Being mature, that's what it looks like, is to recognize you're not there yet. And yet you strive and you press on. 
to grow more like Christ, grow more in your faith. That's the mandate for everybody here. If you've been a Christian for a day or if you've been Christian for decades, I've got news for you. You're not there yet. Okay, that's probably not news for most of you. If you think you are, ask your spouse. But you, you press on. That's what a mature believer uh, knows. I'm not there yet, but I press on. I strive forward. And I, and because God desires to work out of us what he has worked in us. He is conforming us into the image of Jesus. So the question we ask then, we say, well, this is how we are to spend our dash, is by becoming like Christ, working out what he has worked in us. Well, then how do we do that? And we're back to our six Ps. We believe there are six primary ways that God grows us as followers of Jesus. Six primary ways. I'm going to read them off to you. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances, and proclaiming the gospel. All right, we believe that these are the major ways that God inspires people to follow him. And therefore, it is our goal as a church to promote these catalysts within our ministries. And the question that I hope that each of us ask as individuals is how have I positioned myself for growth? How am, I, am, I, am I experiencing each of these catalysts? So let's look, let's look very briefly at each one of these together. We're going to go really fast through these. Practical teaching. All right, so many of us who are, who are walking with Jesus, when we look back and we see progress in our steps toward God, uh, we, we often think of times when we were, you know, the, the very first time we were exposed to practical Bible teaching. I'm not talking about the time, you know, when you first heard the Bible read, right? Or even first heard the Bible preached. But I'm talking about the first time you really understood what the the scriptures were saying and you knew how to apply it to your life. I've shared with you guys before, there was a particular season of growth for me about four or five years ago through the teaching of a, a pastor out in Dallas, Texas. And it wasn't that he was just preaching from texts that I had never read, or they even heard preached from, it's, but his teaching helped me to take these timeless truths of Scripture and to apply them to my particular place in life. The last couple of years, that's been Tim Keller. That's why I reference him so much here. Tim Keller from Pastor Out in New York City has done the same thing. I'm not just being exposed to the Scriptures. I'm, I'm understanding the Scriptures and, and learning to apply it to my life. For many of you guys, you could tell me, if, if you were walking with Christ for a long time, you could actually probably tell me where it was and who it was that was speaking to you the very first time that the Bible came alive to you and it penetrated your heart and your mind. And it went from just learning more information, you know, acquiring more information to actually beginning to transform you. This is what we're striving for here at Twin Oaks. Okay, we want to present, as it's been said, we want to present truth with handles. Paul said it like this. He said, we, we, want to, we want to present the truth in such a way that we are equipped for every good work. That's what he said to Timothy. That's why the scriptures were given to us, to make us wise for salvation and to equip us for every good work. And that was the motivation behind Jesus' teaching. And if that's the motivation behind Jesus' teaching, that better be the motivation behind our teaching. Jesus was not just after mere intellectual assent. He was after active obedience and application. Um, in in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, Jesus wraps it up. This is how he concludes that sermon. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Okay, Jesus taught for a response. He didn't just come to dispense more information In fact, if you look, he very rarely rebuked anybody for not knowing enough, 
for not having enough information. He rebuked them for not applying what they knew. So what's our goal here? To teach the scriptures, but to do it in such a way that we can understand and apply uh, the, the scriptures into our everyday life. Okay, so practical teaching, that's our first catalyst. The second catalyst that God uses to grow our faith is private disciplines. Private disciplines. Uh, and again, many of you can attest to this. Uh, you, you, you know, there was a day when you placed your faith in God. And you, 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 know, you joined a local church and you started coming to and you started listening to the long sermons and you came and you were singing the songs and you were, uh, had this corporate life. But then there came a point where you began to actually study on your own and you began to pray on your own and your relationship with God became personal. It became personal. You were no longer just listening to people talk about God. You were talking with God. Right? And you, you were hearing from God. You were listening to God. You were walking with God. And then this intimacy began to develop. And this accountability began to develop. Um, private disciplines include prayer. Paul tells us in Philippians that we are to, in, he says, in everything, not just in something, in everything, we are to present our requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Private disciplines include Bible study. David tells us in Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That sounds great. I would like that to be said about me. Right? I would like to be that tree that bears fruit in season. I would like to be the, 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 the man whose leaf does not wither, whatever that means. Okay? I would like, it sounds good, right? I, I, would like to, I would like to prosper to the glory of God and the things that I put my hands to. And what's the characteristic? What, what's the qualification? It's the, it's the man who, who uh, meditates on the law of God day and night, consistently meditating on the scriptures. Private disciplines include fasting. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is, in fact, what Jesus told Satan when Satan was tempting Jesus while he was fasting. Um, one of my spiritual mentors, I've told you guys before, has this personal conviction uh, that he defines as no Bible, no breakfast. No Bible. He refuses to put food in his stomach until he has first fed his soul. I think there's something to that. Um, private disciplines include solitude and meditation. God said uh, in the scriptures, he said, be still and know that I'm God. That's really hard to do in our culture, isn't it? But be still and know that I'm God. Private disciplines include giving. Jesus told us this in the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we forget that giving is actually a, a spiritual discipline meant to grow us in our faith. Giving a percentage of our income to God is, is an invitation for God to get involved in our finances. I've been asked all the time, well, what percentage should that be? Is it 10%? Frankly, if you ask me, the, the, the question about what the percentage is is a secondary question. That's a secondary issue. The point is to obey and to learn to trust God with your finances. Private disciplines are an incredibly important way that the Holy Spirit grows us as followers of Jesus. Third catalyst used by God to grow our faith, personal ministry. Personal ministry. Uh, many folks, again, when they describe their journey of faith, they're, they're going to talk about a time when God grew you know, their dependence upon them. They talk about some time where they engaged in some form of ministry. For some of you, that was down in Mexico with Myron on one of our short-term mission trips. For some of you guys, that was when, when Pastor Joe helped you know, usher you into leadership in, in our student ministries. For some of you, that was out walking the streets, praying with us, praying for our neighbors. Um, we, we hear this a lot, and I, I, I think I've said this uh, quite a bit. Uh, Joe can tell you. Um, I, 
a lot of folks, when, when we're serving, will, will say stuff, man, I just feel so inadequate. I felt so inadequate. I felt so unprepared. I felt so unworthy. I've never been so dependent upon God in all of my life. Very few things have the potential to stretch us and to grow our faith in God like stepping into ministry for which we feel unprepared. Anybody have that experience? This is just the way God works. He just, I don't know, he's just up there laughing at us or something. I don't know. The Bible is full of examples of this, though. It's just, he just enjoys watching us just kind of come to the end of our adequacy. God loves to choose the weak and the down and out and just throw us into situations where we just feel way in over our head. He's not laughing. Here's why he doesn't. It's, 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 it's in this way that he's able to show his power. In our weakness, he shows himself to be strong. Um, and in, if you look in the scriptures, and again, the, the scriptures are full of examples of this. Virtually every time that God does this, when he, he throws people into situations that are beyond them, on almost every instance, their faith and their devotion to God increases as a result. You could look at Abraham, you could look at Jacob, you could look at Joseph, you could look at Moses, you could look at David, all the way up into uh, the New Testament. Look at Peter and you look at Paul. I mean, just the example after example after example. We could spend years talking about the way God has done this in the scriptures. One example that we're all probably somewhat familiar with is in uh, Matthew 14 when Jesus was with his disciples and they were standing in front of this large crowd and this large crowd had been listening to Jesus uh, teach them and the disciples after a while tell Jesus, hey, man, like, let's do some little intermission here. Let these people go off to some of the, you know, local villages and get some food to eat. They've got to be hungry by now. And uh, Jesus looks at the disciples and says in verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Right? We're familiar with this. The disciples uh, basically look out at these thousands and thousands of people uh, uh, in this field, and then they look down at what they have to offer, and they see just how inadequate it was. To, to do what Jesus was calling them to do, and this is exactly where Jesus wants them. It's exactly where he wants them. And again, I can tell you, I, I know exactly how the disciples felt. Many of you do as well. You say, wait, you want me to do what? But look, look what I have to offer. You want me to go make disciples? You want, me to go, you want me to go facilitate a community? You want me to give this? You want me to go here? And we think, no, I, I, I must have heard you wrong. You, could, you couldn't have asked me. And so then we ignore the voice of God long enough until we get used to living with it in the back of our heads. Basically, we learn how to live lives of disobedience. That's the reality. Um, but what would you do if you were the disciples in that moment? Because think about what, being a disciple in that moment. Jesus is literally standing in front of you. And you can't be like, I must have heard you wrong. Because he's literally standing right there. Right? And he's telling them, no, you do it. You give them something to eat. What would you have done in that situation? Well, the disciples did exactly what we do today. They just made excuses. They said, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Or in our words, I, I don't, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough resources. I don't have the time. Get somebody else who's more qualified. I can't do it. Look what Jesus tells the disciples. And he said, bring them here to me. In other words, just bring me what you do have. Bring me your limited education. Bring me your limited resources. Put them in my hands and watch what I can do. You just watch what happens. Again, I so relate with that story. Andy Stanley uh, comments on this story, and this is what he says. He said, if we ever get to the place where we are willing to make what we have available to God, amazing things will happen. And after the dust settles, everybody's faith will be bigger. Our confidence will increase. We will experience Emmanuel, God with us. 
Stepping into ministry positions us to experience God's power through us. It stretches us. It scares us. It takes us to the end of our adequacy. Ministry forces us to be consciously dependent on God, and thus our faith is strengthened. Personal ministry is a powerful catalyst that God uses to inspire us, isn't it? Um, Fourth catalyst, providential relationships. Um, Providential relationships. And here's why why we qualify relationships with providential. Okay? Because we believe that these are God-given, God-ordained relationships. And so this, this kind of differs a little bit from the first three that we talked about. Because in a sense, you can place yourself under practical teaching. You can implement personal disciplines in your life. You can you know, engage in personal ministry. But in a sense, you can't, you can't create providential relationships. This is, that's why it's of providence, right? It's something that only God can design. It's something God can ordain, all right? Um, that being said... If you've been a Christian here for a long time and you were to ask, you know, the Christians here in this room uh, about, you know, what were some of the, the seasons of growth, what were some of the catalysts that it really helped to, to, to grow them as a follower of Jesus, I can almost guarantee you, you know, almost every one of you will say, well, there was just one guy, man. He just really spoke into my life. He just really challenged me. He encouraged me. He, he kind of called some of these things out in my life. He just spent time with me. Or there was just one couple, there's just one family that just brought me into their home and I had dinner with them like every week and they, they just spent time with me and invested in me and loved me and cared for me. Or there's just one Bible study. And I, we just really got into the scriptures and, and we just, we really kind of fell in love with God and his word in that time. Anybody, anybody have that experience? Anybody have those providential relationships? I, I know there's more. And if there's not, okay, this, this providential relationship. Stanley defines the, the type of relationship like this. He says, two things make a relationship providential. When we hear from God through someone and when we see God in someone. Like I said, this, the, these kind of relationships are not something that we can create. We cannot manufacture this kind of a relationship. But what we can do is create points of contact. We can create contact points. So what we're trying to do as a church then is to simply create room for these types of relationships to develop. And the primary way that we do that is through community groups. Uh, one of our theme verses for this area of our church, we read it a lot here, it's one of our theme verses, it's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's one of the reasons why I love this verse so much. The writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Um, In other words, give it some thought. Think about it. Don't just assume that it's going to happen. Be intentional. This is a call to intentionality. Again, we can't manufacture those type of providential relationships but it is our responsibility to intentionally position ourselves to experience and enjoy those kinds of relationships. All right? So fifth, we've got pivotal circumstances. Uh, here's what we mean by pivotal circumstances. When people describe their faith journeys, they almost always talk about these events that would be these defining moments that launch them uh, closer to the Lord. Sometimes they're good events, like when you get married or you have a kid or you get a new job or you join a new church or you move to a new town. But just as often, maybe even more often, these defining moments are marked with pain and disappointment or even death. I know that's been the case for many of us here. James said in chapter 1, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So what we've been saying today is that we're trying to promote these six P's within the ministries of our church. So the question is, how do we promote pivotal circumstances in our church? Because we're not going to be starting a ministry that like, is devoted to sending trials into your life. Okay? We're going like, to send a team out to your, job, you know, to your boss and be like, either fire him or give him a promotion. Right? Um, we're not going to be, uh, you know, obviously able to promote these defining moments. But there is something that we should understand about the power of these defining moments to impact our faith. There's something we must understand here. Just because you get sick doesn't mean your faith is going to grow. Just because you get a promotion at your job or because you lose your job, does, that your faith is going to grow. That's not how it happens. Um, the defining moments don't guarantee growth. In fact, a defining moment has the potential to impact your faith for good or for bad. I mean, we've, I'm sure we've all you know, seen this. I know that I've experienced I've, I've seen people who have lost their jobs, two different people, people that I you know, know and love, and, and these people you know, had almost exact same circumstances. They both lose their job. They both have families. They both have been working there a long time, both talented people, so on and so forth. Both people lose their job, and for one person, it resulted you know, that their faith grew. They grew closer to the Lord. They saw, the, they saw God as, well, God, you know, things are falling apart around me, but you are faithful, and I'm going to cling to you. You are my provider. You're what I hold on to. And then this other person saw that and said, well, I thought God was going to, you know, if I follow God, that he's just going to bless me in every way in the way that I think he's going to bless me. And so they, what, whatever faith they had in God, they, it was just basically destroyed. It deteriorated. And they ran from God. Defining moments in your life have the potential to impact your faith for the good or for the bad. So what is it? Then what is it that, 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 that determines the trajectory I'd, the answer is it's our worldview. It's the, the lens, it's the perspective through which we see our defining moment that determines our trajectory. Let me give you an illustration. I read an illustration uh, of, uh, of, of a, again, this, this kind of catalyst in the book Deep and Wide, and the author shares this uh, defining moment or the pivotal circumstance for Steve Jobs. This is what he wrote. This is what he wrote. He said, when Steve Jobs was 13 years old, he came across the July 12, 1968 edition of Life magazine, on which was a disturbing picture of two children from the war-torn region of Biafra. Biafra was a secessionist state in Nigeria that maintained its independence for only two and a half years before being integrated back into Nigeria. More than one million people died from civil war or famine during that time. At 13, Steve found it impossible to, to reconcile that picture with the lessons that he was being taught at his local church. Whereas the average 13-year-old boy would have just shrugged it off and gone on with his 13-year-old life, Steve wanted answers. His biographer, Walter Isaacson, described what happened next. Steve took the magazine to Sunday school and confronted the church's pastor and asked, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before I do it? And the pastor answered, yes, God knows everything. Jobs then pulled out the life cover and asked, well, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those children? Apparently, the answer that he received was less than acceptable because according to Isaacson, after that conversation, Steve never went back to church. And then uh, the, the author writes, he says, but it was not the picture that undermined Steve's faith. It was his interpretation of the picture that drove him away. The conclusions that he drew were what made his Sunday school God and hungry children irreconcilable. Here's why I share that. Okay, contrast Steve's job with his, Steve Jobs with his uh, worldview and then uh, contrast that with Omo sitting here, right here in our front row. 
Omo is 12 years old and uh, just returned from our Mexico trip a couple weeks ago. Uh, he stood up, the, he, last week he stood right here and, and told us, uh, you know, the thing that impacted him the most from that trip, he said, was seeing the, the children who were there living in extreme poverty and who didn't know Jesus. That's the thing that impacted him the most. It, too, just like Steve Jobs, broke Omo's heart. And you could see that. It, impact, it said, this is what impacted me the most. But because of Omo's worldview, because of the lens, you know, the way his parents are raising him and so on, the way he's learning here in the church, through that, what it did was it didn't, he didn't walk out, he didn't come back from Mexico shaking his fist up at the sky. He came back motivated. He came back motivated to be grateful. If you heard him say that, if you were here, that he was, he was grateful for the, for the community that God put him in that he might know Jesus. And it motivated him to want to see those kids have that same experience. It was very similar circumstances, but very different outcomes. Many of us have had the same experience. When, when Jess and I were living in India, we, we visited this place called Home of Hope. And Home of Hope was this compound where those who were sick and, and dying and who had been abandoned by their families basically on the streets to, to die, basically just to die out there. Um, they were brought in to this, to this place called Home of Hope to receive love and care and to hear the gospel and basically to have a place to die with dignity. Um, Jessica and I went in there and we, we visited that place one day and we just went basically from bed to bed and just talked with them as we could through a translator and prayed for them, just you know, laid our hands on them. and um, It just was absolutely heartbreaking. These are people who were dying of AIDS, people who were dying of leprosy, a whole host of other diseases. It was heartbreaking. It was not any easier for us to see that, to witness that scene than it was for Steve Jobs to look at that magazine cover. But the lens through which we saw injustice and pain and poverty was different because of the scriptures. Um, we know from the Bible that God hates what Steve Jobs saw on that cover and what we saw in Home of Hope even more than what we do. It, pain and poverty and sin and sorrow and disease and death break God's heart, even to the point where he decided to enter into it. It broke his heart so much that he entered into it. He was born in a barn, and he was born in a dirty little manger, and he was born into a poor family, and he spent his life, he spent 30-plus years walking this earth, ministering to the hurting, healing the sick, you know, making the blind see, making the lame walk, raising the dead. And then he poured out his own blood to take away the sin of the world and to one day remove sin and sorrow and death once and for all. It's going to be a thing of the past. It's going to be but a memory. Because we know how God feels about poverty, because we know how God feels about pain and death, we as followers of Jesus Christ approach pain and poverty with the same attitude as that of Christ. So when Jessica, my wife, saw the need at Home of Hope, when we walked out that day, instead of her you know, shaking her fist up at the sky and raging against God, instead she committed to walking to Home of Hope every single Saturday morning, and my wife came along with these, these lepers and these people who are dying of AIDS, and she bathed them from head to toe. She took, her, she, she, she took her spot in the front lines of, of giving love and care and support to, to, to the least of these. So what we, what we promote within our ministries here is not the defining moment uh, itself, in and of itself. We don't promote the pivotal circumstance itself. But what we want to promote here is the development of a biblical worldview that will enable us to grow in our faith when these defining moments occur. And that move us into steps of obedience when these uh, defining moments occur. You, you with me? We're, we're committed to promoting a biblical worldview for every person, young and old, that will enable us to maintain faith in God regardless of what comes our way. We have one more and we're done. This, is, this will be a quick one. 
Lastly, our, uh, the sixth catalyst that God uses to grow us in our faith is proclaiming the gospel. Um, according to Scripture, it's not just the person who hears the gospel that has the opportunity to, to, to uh, grow in faith, but it's also the person uh, sharing the gospel that, that gets to benefit. Uh, if you think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist's whole ministry basically was just pointing his finger to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God! Behold the Lamb of God! Repent and run to Jesus! Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world! So when John's disciples then come to him and say, Hey, John, bad news, man. Jesus is, you know, he, you know everybody's going to Jesus. All of your followers are going over to him. Your fame is de- decreasing while his is increasing. What do we do? John basically says, I know it's great, right? This is exactly the way it was meant to be. He says, my joy is made complete through sharing the gospel and seeing people run to Jesus. John says that he experiences completion of joy. If you want to experience joy as a Christian, go and share the gospel. John 6, uh, Jesus says something similar. Jesus' disciples go out uh, to get food for everybody after a big, long journey. Everybody's famished. Jesus hangs back and sits at the well, and he just starts chatting with this woman from Samaria, basically shares the gospel with her. And when the disciples come back with the food, Jesus says, you know, guys, I'm not even hungry anymore. I'm not even hungry anymore. He says, I have food that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of God. And the context that he says that in is that he just shared the gospel with this woman. Basically, it filled him up. It sustains him. It nourishes him. And for those of you who have shared the gospel with someone in the past, you know that this is the case. There is nothing more enriching and joy-producing than sharing truth and grace with someone who needs to hear it. Okay, so these are the six catalysts that we believe God primarily uses to grow us in our faith and inspire us to follow him. Um, so these are, these, are the, these are the areas that we're trying to promote in every single one of our ministries. Um, what does this mean for you as an individual? Well, for almost every one of you here, you're here because you're interested in knowing God more, I think. Uh, maybe not everybody. For most of you here, you're here because you're interested in knowing God more. Maybe some of you got tricked into coming today. You know, your spouse is like, hey, I'll take you out to breakfast. And you get out and you're in the parking lot at Southside, right? And they throw a Pop-Tart at you and there's your breakfast. Um, but for most of you, I think you're here because you're interested in knowing God more. And that being the case, I hope that as I did this week is putting this together, that, that you've done a bit of self-analysis as we've walked through this list. How are you experiencing these catalysts? Are you working with God for your growth? Is he working in your life in spite of you or because of your cooperation with him? Have you made practical teaching a priority? Are, are you implementing private disciplines? Are you engaged in personal ministry? Have you made room in your life for providential relationships? Are you developing a biblical worldview to help you as you encounter these pivotal circumstances? And are you experiencing the joy that comes from proclaiming the gospel? These are, these are not commands just to be obeyed with a begrudging heart. These are gifts given to us by God for our growth, for our good, and for his glory. We've got our birth date, and we've got our death date, and we've got this dash in between. This is how we spend our dash. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Amen? Let's pray.